0: I want to begin with a story that I've told a couple of times if not a few times in the life of this church. I'm going to tell the story and then I'm going to let you know that I'm actually telling it for a different reason than the reason I usually tell the story. Got it? And I've told this story a few times, usually around Easter, but when my sister died on February 22nd of 2010, she had passed away and my parents were walking out of the hospital and they're walking out of the hospital in a hallway where they're about to go get in a car to meet up with my brother-in-law to go tell his nine-year-old daughter, my parents' nine-year-old granddaughter, that their mother had passed away. And in that hallway, my mom squared up my dad's shoulders, she's much shorter than my dad, poked him in his chest and said, before we take another step, before we go out into whatever the new normal, if there ever, ever is another normal for us, before we go out there, I just need you to tell me right now, Rick, what is it we believe? And my dad took a few moments and he responded with what many of us now pray and we recite to each other. But my dad responded with four words, the tomb is empty. That's what we believe. That if we believe this about Jenny and we believe this about Jesus and we believe this about those who have gone on before us, it does give us hope that we can live tomorrow. So this has become this anthem for my family and for many others. It's what my parents recite to each other when they wake up and uh, there's grief or sadness in their life. It's what they remind each other in moments of joy. It's what some of us speak to each other. Hey, the tomb is empty. Let's live like it. And I've been open before. I mean, I see this every day in my own life because I have put it right here on my arm. The tomb is empty. And not that I stare in the mirror at myself with a shirt off every day, all right, but I see it every day right here. There's an anchor on my arm, and through that anchor is the tomb is empty. It's like an anchor for my life. Now, there are times I may be out in public, and not that I'm out in public a lot with my shirt off or in a tank top, but there are times where other people, strangers, may see the tattoo on my right arm. I may be at the beach or in the gym or something like that. And there have been moments because it's a big anchor with the tomb is empty going through it. There have been moments people come up and they thank me for my service. They think I'm in the military. They see the anchor and they thank me for my service. In which in my head, I'm like, I probably need to take advantage of this moment to tell them it's actually about the resurrection of Jesus. I've never served in the military, but when they follow that by, I paid for your meal, I did what most of you would do, I shake their hand, and I say, it is a great honor, all right? <laughs> you would do the same thing, too. It's become this anthem, this rallying cry. It's probably the only story, sometimes, when I travel places, that people will say, will you tell that story about the tomb is empty? There have been authors, well-known authors, who have heard the story, who reach out because they want to include the story in their books and read by a bunch of people. The tomb is empty. But what I want to focus on just for a moment today is not the anthem. It's not the four words. It's the question my mom asked. My mom has been in church her entire life. So is my dad. God has been so gracious to my parents pretty much from the moment they were born, to surround them with a cloud of witnesses, people who taught them the ways of God, who have shown them Jesus. God has raised up mentor after mentor for my parents that helped them, helped them crave the heart of God. So they have had belief, some form of belief, like their entire life. When my mom asked that question to my dad, my dad had already been a preacher for like 25 years. Yet there in the hallway, she said, what is it we believe? What do we believe? It's the question we ask when the foundation in our life is shaken. It's the question we ask when how we move into the future with God is not going to be like how we have walked in the past with God. And it's not because God has changed, but sometimes just circumstances in life have changed. It's the question we ask when those events in life happen that just like knocks the breath out of us. Like, what is it we believe? It's the question that causes us to reflect. It's a question I think we reflect on every week when we come to the table, when we take the bread and the cup. It is a reminder, this is what we believe. We need to ask it for ourselves, for our families, churches, nonprofits, businesses. Like there are times we all need to pause and just ask, okay, hey, let's remind each other right now, what do we believe? Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as you're getting there, let me just remind you a little bit about Corinth, all right? Because Paul, Paul, he wasn't writing with chapters and verses, but 28 chapters between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, or 29 chapters were given to the city of Corinth, the churches in Corinth. And this is a church full of a lot of division. There's a lot of division going on. There's sexual immorality. Paul's leadership is under suspicion. He's under attack. They got sexual problems, spiritual problems, social problems in the life of the church. The rich aren't waiting on the poor. Jew, Gentile, or intention. Like there's all kinds of things happening. And one of the issues is some people are eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And some people take great offense to this when some people are eating meat and they're like, I this doesn't mean I'm worshiping an idol. I just wanted a ribeye today. Like that's all I'm thinking about. Uh, it's not idol worship, but it began to violate the conscience of other people in the church. So Paul writes about. About it. Now, 1 Corinthians, unlike Romans or unlike Galatians, there's not a lot of doctrine going on in 1 Corinthians. Paul's addressing behavior. Like almost chapter after chapter, there are behavioral issues happening in the life of the church that Paul's addressing. He's trying to challenge behavior, address behavior, and he gets to the end of his book in chapter 15. And a lot of times it's toward the end of Paul's books that that's when he starts talking about behavior. But it's toward the end of the book in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Paul starts talking about doctrine, about theology. And here's what he does in verse three. I want to remind you of what is is first importance. So if you highlight in your Bible, you take notes, you circle things, like make a mark around that first importance. So after 14 chapters of Paul talking a lot about behavior, a lot about things in their life and in their community that have to change, it's like now Paul slows down and Paul says, okay, what I received, I'm passing on to you what is of first importance. And now Paul's just going to lay it out. And here it is, just four things. This is first importance. This is a foundation for every believer, every Christian, everybody who follows Jesus. This is it, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared. And then what you have throughout the rest of like the next few verses is it keeps, the word appear, keeps appearing. So what Paul wants people to know is this is it. This is the matter of first importance. Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared and he appeared and he appeared that the God who hovers over the universe kept coming in human flesh to meet with people where they are. Now, here's the thing. Look at that screen right there, the first importance. We don't ever get to go to a whiteboard to reinvent what first importance is for us. That's it. So a preacher or a church staff or an eldership or a board of directors at a nonprofit or your family, you don't get to take out a chalkboard or a whiteboard and say, okay, what is going to be when it comes to faith, when it comes to following Jesus, what's going to be the first importance for me or for us? Like, that's it. We don't get to reinvent it. We don't get to rewrite it. That's it. Now, I do think it's good for churches to think through mission or vision or strategy and core values because how you live out the kingdom of God in our location in an urban slash suburban setting is going to be different how people may live out the kingdom of God in Milan or Dyersburg or a smaller place. And this is really fun when it comes to like what does it mean for us to be the people of god in our location because i think god takes hold of that and god gives us an imagination of how we live it out but when it comes to matters of first importance this is it this is our faith jesus died was buried was raised to life and he did and he keeps appearing that's it now if you would asked me growing up like what do you have to do to be saved I would have said there are just a few things that you need to do to be saved. You need to repent, you need to confess, you need to believe in Jesus, you need to be baptized. But there was a time in my life when I thought the things you needed to do to stay saved, that there were a bunch of things and the things you needed to do to make sure you didn't, like you stayed, like there were a bunch of things you didn't do, like you better not do if you wanted to stay saved. The older I get in my life, the older I become, hopefully the more mature I am, the fewer things are And the deeper I believe in them. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's like Paul is saying. I don't just want you to behave better. I want you to believe deeper. I don't just want you to have habits in your life that are helping you to practice the faith. I want you to believe deeper in the faith. Right before verses 3 and 4, here's what Paul says in verse 1 and 2. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have been, which you have taken on or taken your stand, that by this gospel, you are being saved, like you're in the process of being saved and transformed if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, and otherwise, you have believed in vain. So here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about why it is so important for us to to take seriously the question, what is it we believe? and through that, for us to take seriously how we live out what it is we believe. So I want to invite two friends to the stage, Owen, are you, where's Owen, Owen, Cooper, can y'all come join me just for a moment? And will you uh, welcome Owen and Cooper up to the stage this morning? All right. Owen, I want you to st- or stand right here to my right. I want you to hold this. Cooper, I want you to come over here to my left. Maybe right there. I want you to hold this. No, Owen, I want to start with you. If you'll flip it around so everybody can see it. I want to start with the word orthodoxy. Can you see that? And over here to my left is orthopraxy. Now, I'm not trying to impress you today with words that you may not use on a regular basis. If I can get the blue mic, please. I don't want to impress you today with these words. And I, don't, I, I hope today there's somebody in this worship experience, either online or here today. It's your first time here, maybe second time here. So I'm not trying to impress you. I want to try to break this down so clearly about belief and practice. Uh, Owen, do you know the word orthodoxy, yes or no? Uh, kind of. Kind of. Uh, do you want to give a shot what do you think it may mean? No. no. Okay. <laughs> uh, Cooper, do you know what orthopraxy means? Not at all. Not at all? All right. Hey, that's fair. That's fine. All right. Orthodoxy is just this, okay? It's right belief. That's it. If you're taking notes, that's what I want you to remember. Just right belief. Orthodoxy, right belief. If that's right belief, you want to take a shot of what orthopraxy is? Ooh, uh, wrong belief. Pract- Right practice. Right practice, of course, right? So right practice. So we got right belief with orthodoxy. We got right practice with orthopraxy. Got it? So when, I think, when you think about orthodoxy and you look over here at Owen, because most of you, when you look at Owen, you're like, man, orthodoxy. This is a guy who knows how to think and discern. He uses his head. He makes great decisions in life. He is wise. He's discerning. He processes information really well. He is a student of life. Like these are the things that most of you probably think of when you think Owen. So when you think orthodoxy, I want you to point to your head. I need to see you. Can I see you? Just point to your head just for a moment. I want you to think about the head. When you think orthopraxy over the next few minutes, I want you to think about your hands. Let me see some hands. It's okay. Your preacher is giving you information or or, uh, he's inviting you to lift your hands in church. All right, some of you. First time you've ever done it? That's all right. When you think orthopraxy, I want you to think hands. When you think orthodoxy, here just for the next few moments, I want you to think truth. The truth of God, not your own personal truth, not like, uh, just the truth of God. And when you hear me talk about orthopraxy, I want you to think about grace as it extends to more and more people. Because we live out, like we practice what we believe because we believe things about God. And we believe some things about God and because we believe some things about God, we, we take seriously what it means to practice them and live them out in the world. Is this making sense at all? Maybe. So I guess my question would be, and I'm not asking you to answer this right now, but what is more important, orthodoxy or orthopraxy? What is more important for salvation? What's more important for evangelism? What is more important for service? Like, Which one is more important for unity in the body? All right, so here, on, here in this church, you can go to our website and you can read a lot of different stuff about us. Cooper, how long have you been in this church? about how long? A while. A while. Yeah, your dad's a preacher. I mean, he's an elder. Maybe he wants to be a preacher. Your dad's an elder in the church. I know y'all are a wrestling family. If you and your dad right now on this stage were to wrestle, who's going to win? Me. You? Okay. All right. You've been in the church a long time, so maybe you've heard us talk about core values. I got a question about core values. Are you ready for this? You and I didn't talk any about this before. All right. How many core values do we have at Sycamore View? More than three. More, dude, you, a biblical number three. Yeah, more than three, less than nine, more than seven, which would make it eight. 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 <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. All right, now, look on the screen just for a moment. These are our eight core values. When you think about core values, think this is, it's how we're trying to live out our faith. Like this is what a, We think this is what a disciple looks like. This is what the heart of God is like, and this is how we want to practice it. That we believe like uh, somebody who is living into what Jesus wants for them, they are going to anticipate what God is doing, meaning we're going to live with our eyes open, our heart open, like we want to see what God's up to. That we take discipleship seriously, that connection is not just about us connecting with each other, but those disconnected from Jesus in faith, we want them to see Jesus and come to know Jesus by the way we live out our faith that we take seriously how we pray for and how we care for people who are battling mental and physical health issues, that we want to come alongside of the marginalized, the poor, the orphan, the widow, the stranger, just like Jesus modeled this, that God modeled this throughout all of Scripture. We take reconciliation seriously. We want to pour into the next generation and give them a story to live into, and that we want to be a restoration movement, restore meaning, a return to life. So as we think about values we want to embody, orthopraxy is helping us live those out and practice them. So it's not just believing them. It's what we're doing about them. Now, Owen, let's come to you for a moment. How long have you been here at Sycamore View? Do you know? Um, ten years. Ten years. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, your dad has been asked to be an elder before, but he's declined twice because he's waiting for elders to get their own personal parking spot and stipend, and at least that's what he's told me. Hey, I'm curious, your family, the Lane family, just real quick, y'all are big gamers. You like to play dominoes, cards. Who's the most competitive Lane? Uh, my dad. Your dad. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious real quick. And this means, this has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just curious. Right now in front of people, does your mom ever raise her voice in the house? Uh, a few times, yeah. a little bit. All right. I've just never heard. I've never heard her raise her voice. All right, Owen. Uh, we have belief statements on our website. Do you want to guess how many we have? Ten. Ten. Dude, that's close. We have 12. All right. Were you looking in the bag? Are you trying to count them? All right. <laughs> that's pretty good. But it is, it's the small little box over there. All right. So if you go to our website, here are some things about what we believe. And we did this about a decade ago with the leaders in our church. That we looked at these, we studied them, and you can read these. There's a paragraph or two paragraphs about each one of these. And we have something that we say about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Because when it comes to how we talk about faith, we're not just inviting you into God as some idea. It's we want to invite you into God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit as a relationship that the divine is inviting you into. We have a statement in there about the Bible, that the Bible is more than just a history book to study. It's the living, breathing Word of God for us today. Like it is meant to be embodied in practice in everything we do. We have a statement about human nature, of what it means to see each other in the image of God. A statement about salvation, that salvation is not based on what we do. We don't get to save ourselves, Jesus saves us. We have a statement and a video about baptism and why it is not just essential and necessary for eternal life, but for all of life. We are baptized and then we respond to our baptisms. For the rest of our lives we have a statement about the lord's supper how it's both a connection to god and a connection with each other we have a statement about uh uh, spiritual formation and discipleship about reconciliation about compassion and justice and what it means for our church and especially a decade ago it is important for us to process what conflict resolution was going to look like for us So of course in those, there are some of those that are more important than the others. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, salvation. But there are these beliefs that we have as a church that you may not hear us recite all the time, but I hope in some way is coming from this stage on a regular basis. You have a belief. like What is it you believe about God? And a practice of how are we living out what it is we believe about God? All right, so guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, uh, here, let's, let's take this, and will you just, I'm gonna switch you, Owen. You put that down right there so people can see it. I want you to hold this. And church, what I'm about to do is we're gonna go through 14 verses, seven each. Seven about orthodoxy, seven about orthopraxy. You're gonna hear Owen, and you're gonna hear Cooper. Read these. This is gonna be, this is gonna go too fast. All right, are you ready? Are you good? I looked through these, there should be no like, big words that are going to, like, catch you off guard or anything like that. It's going to probably be too fast for you to look these up in your Bible, but if you want to write them down as we go through them, you can go back and look at them later. I just want to root this in Scripture because this word, believe, about orthodoxy shows up about 300 times just in the New Testament. So here we go. Can you read the first one? Yeah.
1: Uh, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news.
0: Mark chapter 1 starts off with it. Believe and repent the good news.
2: Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, put them into practice.
0: Yeah, and this is the story about the wise and the foolish builder. So what Cooper just read is you don't just hear the words. You hear the words and do what? Put them into practice. Next one. If you
1: can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed,
0: I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Right, which is the way many of us live and pray almost on a daily basis. Jesus calling us to believe, sometimes us saying we believe, but help us overcome our unbelief. Next one.
2: In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead.
0: Yeah, James, faith without action, faith without
1: deeds is dead. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that
2: through him all might believe. Yeah, next one. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you
0: did not do for me. Yeah, so Matthew 25, Jesus is making this out like, in the end, the question you're going to be asked isn't just do you have the right information about what you believe, but how did you show God in life what it is you believe? Next one.
1: For God so loved the world that he gave his one only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right.
2: Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Yep. Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty.
1: Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never
2: go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's the same one. All right. That was my (laughs) fault. Dear children, uh, let us not love with words or with speech, but with actions and in truth.
0: Yes.
1: If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified. and It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved.
2: Last one. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you.
0: Yeah. And for the reading of the word of God, the whole church said, amen. 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 And will you thank my volunteers for stepping up here today? Y'all killed it. Thank you. I want you to see on the screen the word belief in the New Testament has two definitions, and here's what they are. To consider something to be true and worthy of one's trust or to entrust oneself to an entity in complete confidence. And this if if you notice, when Owen was reading some of his scriptures, it was about not just believing, it was believing in him, believing in Jesus. And some of the things Cooper was reading is, you know, what you believe, you've got to live it out. You've got to practice it. And we live in this tension like every day of our lives. What do you believe? How are you going to live it out? So here's an example of how it's happened in my life. One of my beliefs, I mean, straight from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is about resurrection. So a prayer I pray on a regular basis is, God, if this is really the best news for the world, what does it mean for how I engage everybody and everything around me? So once a year, when I'm back home uh, at my parents' house, I will go to my sister's grave, and I will take 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me. And I'll stand there at her grave, and I'll read the entire chapter, which is a chapter about resurrection. And what I want to do is stand in a place of death, and read about resurrection. And there's something about doing that that lets me know that for us who are in Jesus, for those of us in Jesus, there is life before death, life in death, and life after death. It's good for me to stand in a place like that and be reminded this is not where a story ends. And somehow in the Christian story, we know that those who have even died who have gone on before us, somehow their death through the power of Jesus can energize us to live a life with passion. When I came to Memphis for about a year and a half, I would go on prayer drives almost every week where I would just get lost. This is the days before we had maps on our phones. We're talking 2008, 2009 when you had to go into MapQuest and print off like 15 pages just to go like three miles. And I was trying to figure out, like, the major streets in Memphis. Like, why does Poplar have to change its name? And Sycamore View, the road, had to change its name multiple times. I would just go, and and the prayer I would take with me as as I drove through some of the wealthiest neighborhoods in our city and some of the poorest neighborhoods in our city is, God, if the resurrection of Jesus is the best news for the world, how does it change how I engage everything I see around me? Because my belief is there's nothing that looks like death or is death that Jesus doesn't want to bring to life. So what does it mean for me and what does it mean for the church? Because I want my belief in the resurrection to cause me to wake up every day and to live as somebody who wants to take risks for God, who wants to be courageous, who isn't going to give in to fear, who's not going to always try to play it safe, and that will believe that there is nothing that looks like death or that is dead that Jesus doesn't want to bring to life in some way. So think about what this means. I mean, our students are back there right now for the students, because this, this year at church camp, you probably did a little bit of both of these. And for our students, some of the mission trips you did, it was a lot of service. You were using your hands. You were doing things. And what I always want to encourage people, no matter what age you are, is that the reason we do things and we serve for God, it's not because it's what it means to be a good human being. It is because we want to be a good human being who is doing what is right because we have been saved by Jesus. We serve in the world because of what Jesus has done for us. And when we come and we live out of that conviction of what Jesus has done for us, we want to serve in the world. We want to live a life of service. For the teachers and educators and those of you going back to school, whether you're homeschool, private school, public school, like think about this in your own life. I know you wanna be light in the world. You wanna live out the life of Christ. And to do that, it'd be good for you to wake up every day and ask the question, what do I believe? Because there are some things that we remind people of in our lives that we get tired of reminding them of it. Like I want everybody in my house to know when that washer goes off, Everybody is a candidate to move clothes from washer to dryer. When that dishwasher lights up as green, anybody can take those dishes and put them up. You may want to wait 10 minutes just for some of the steam to go away, all right? God never gets tired of answering the question, what do we believe? Like there's never a moment you're going to wake up in the morning and say, God, remind me today what I believe, that God's going to be upset at the question or annoyed by it. God delights in the simple reminders. And especially for our public school people in the room, because I don't think homeschool and private school, I don't think you hear this as much. For our public school people who do hear Christians sometimes say things like, and, and this really makes me angry when I hear this anywhere around me, like prayer's not allowed in school or God's not in public school anymore. Like whenever I hear these things around me, I have to go through the breathing exercises my mom taught me. Four seconds in, hold your breath. Four seconds out, hold your breath. And I it might start going like a second, you know. I, and Look, <clears throat> God doesn't need a microphone to hear prayers or an intercom. When Brenda South walks into Shelby Oaks Elementary School praying for God to bless her day in the hallways, heaven hears and heaven responds. So especially for my public school teachers and educators in the room, for all the ways you shine light in places, some people don't think the light of God goes. We thank you for all you do and take seriously what you believe and how you live living out because we're a church that's written for you. Look, we have beliefs, and here are just a couple of things I want to say about this. Our beliefs don't become a litmus test based that will determine who we will serve or who we will build relationships with. God calls us through the grace of God to build relationships with people, whether they line up with all of our beliefs or not. At this church, we don't stay at the door with our 12 beliefs and everybody who walks in, asks them to sign their name to it, to come into a worship experience. We want people just to come into space and hopefully, by the way, they see us worship and they hear preaching and prayers and how we're trying to live out the life of God in this church. They come to believe through that. It doesn't become a litmus test. We're called by the grace of God to go and practice and serve no matter what. And I don't know anybody and I don't know churches who have a perfect balance of doing both of these. Which means that I think God is inviting us to be self-aware to know when we have elevated one far above the other. And just to know if you find yourself thinking through right beliefs and studying right beliefs, God is also calling you to go and engage, serve, use your hands for the good of the world. And if you find service to be something that just lights you on fire, be reminded we don't serve just because it makes us feel good. And sometimes I think we serve and serve and serve more because we don't want to take the time to like process what it is we believe. For those who have hearts of service— take time to process. What is it I believe and why do I believe it and how am I going to live this out? And one thing I love about reading about the Lord's Supper, and hang on just a couple more minutes, all right? We're not going straight to the Lord's Supper right now. When I read in the first couple of centuries about the Lord's Supper, is that when you see the way they talk about it, it was both orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Then when you read sources, who talk about the Lord's Supper in the first couple of hundred years of Christianity, some of them will let you know that the Lord's Supper was the last thing that the church would do when they came together. They would sing some songs, they would study, they would pray prayers, and then they would feast around the table. And I think that was a place and a time for them to be reminded of what it is they believe, And one of the reasons I think it was the last thing they would do when they came together is that everything they had talked about and all the ways they had experienced God was preparing them to respond every moment of their life to the bread and the cup. To the point they would take the bread and cup that was left over out of the places where they were worshiping, to widows, to people who didn't make it in the church that day, They came together to celebrate what it is they believed. And they took it from that place out into the streets to take it seriously. For anyone here who needs to take seriously today, like what is it you believe? About God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about just life with God. Will you give us a chance to pray with you or for you today? And for those of you who are asking this week, or you need the courage of God to help you go practice your faith everywhere you go, will you give us a chance to pray with you today? Doyle, one of our shepherds is going to be up front. Laura and Shelley, I know two of our prayer leaders today, I don't know which one of you are going to the left and one to the right, and I know we have a shepherd, I don't know who you are, one of our shepherds is going to be in the back to receive you. If you're a guest here, what we do is we go to tables. Some people already have the bread and the cup with them, but we have six tables in the room, and you'll see crowds who begin moving to those tables to take the bread and the cup. We're a church. We move together. We move to the table. We move from the table to live out what it means to follow Jesus in the world. So over the next few moments, just feel free to follow the crowds as they go there. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, for the heads, the minds you have given us, help us, God, to take seriously what it means to think and the process and discern what life with you is like. And for the hands and bodies you have given us, may we use them for your service in the world. And God, I just believe that out in front of us, I mean, we're a church right now, hundreds of people in this worship space, and I, there are hundreds of opportunities in front of this, us this week. Open our eyes to see them, our ears to hear them. Open our hearts to want to respond. just to be who it is you want us to be. And Jesus, none of this would be possible today. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. So for what is a matter of first importance of the bread, the cup, which reminds us of death, burial, and resurrection. Will you use this bread and the cup to energize us, encourage us, and to fill us with courage to be your people this week? Church, Jesus is living in you. You have what it takes. Dream with God. Take a risk. Go serve. Be brave. Be courageous. Jesus is leading you. Follow. Pray bold prayers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.